While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. From an that pretty gal to Georgia. Eventually, the argument about whether the ballots were valid or not erupted into violence. Figures from outside the electoral process demanded a chance to prove or disprove the transparency of an election. One group claimed that the ballots cast early were suspicious and they had questions about the chain of custody for those ballots. Tempers flared, insults flew, and in the end, one man lay dead. Yeah, 1777 was a crazy year for sure. This is Moving Through Georgia, Episode 5, Joseph Habersham. Joseph Habersham was the son of James Habersham, who had come to Georgia in 1738 and had taken charge of an orphanage near Savannah. James and a friend began a successful transatlantic shipping company, and he used his profits to buy farming land in Georgia. James's influence over the government in London may be overstated, but he is sometimes credited with the eventual dismissal of Georgia's ban on slavery. James Habersham at his peak owned as many as 200 slaves to work his plantations. He had three sons, Joseph, James Jr., and John. Joseph and James Jr. went to Princeton, and James Jr. began his own shipping concern bringing slaves from Africa to Savannah. The Habersham boys were ardent supporters of the American cause as the revolution broke out, something that broke their loyalist father's heart. James Sr. lived to hear about the fighting at Lexington and Concord, and in a letter to a friend, James expressed that with the outbreak of hostilities, reconciliation was now out of reach. He died in August of 1775, leaving generous bequeathals to three sons. Now working mostly from the Georgia Historical Quarterly article entitled Joseph Habersham and the Revolutionary War. In 1775, Joseph was a member of the Georgia Council of Safety. Apparently, they felt they would be safer without the British around. He had been appointed to a special committee to evaluate sources of powder and ammunition for rebel troops. He and other committee members resolved the situation by raiding the King's store of powder in Savannah and seizing up to 600 pounds of gunpowder. Later, Habersham and others on board a schooner would capture a British supply ship carrying 14,000 pounds of powder and other military supplies. So was he a pirate? Was he a thief? Was he a privateer? This action was one of the first actions of the revolution in which the Americans were successful, but it did happen before the Declaration of Independence. Let's go with the term privateer. This is only a 10-minute podcast, and we have a long way to go with Joseph Habersham. Habersham's admirers pointed out that soldiers at Bunker Hill fought the British with powder stolen, um, appropriated by Joseph Habersham and his band of patriots. Joseph joined the Continental Army as an officer and began a truly podcast-worthy career. In 1776, he accepted the mission to arrest the British governor of Georgia, walking right into the governor's home and announcing the arrest. He was known as a brave and decisive officer, possibly with a slightly over-hot temper, but he was well thought of by his superiors. 
And now we go back to that questionable election. The governor of Georgia called for an election to select delegates for an upcoming constitutional convention. That was a constitution for the state of Georgia. One political party known as the Popular Party cast many of its votes by proxy, so those that couldn't attend the conference had asked fellow members of their party to cast a particular vote in their name, actually handed them the vote and asked them to bring it and put it in the ballot box. A member of the Popular Party went to deposit a ballot in the box that he claimed represented the vote of the governor himself, who could not be at the meeting. Then Major Joseph Habersham approached and asked to inspect the ballot and assure himself that the governor did indeed sign it. Before he could make his case entirely though, the ballot went into the box. No one would lay hands on it until the box was opened at the close of the election when all the ballots were counted. This left Habersham plenty of time to become irritated, and when the ballot box was finally opened and he was told by another member of the popular party named Nathaniel Hughes that he couldn't see the ballot in question, Habersham's temper flared. He insulted Hughes, who then laid hands on Habersham and threw him down. And there may have been more, stories differ about this part of the conflict. The fight ended with Hughes on the floor pierced by a sword. Some said it was his own sword, and some said it was Habersham's. The grand jury was apparently about to issue charges of murder for Habersham, but the jury was abruptly dissolved by a judge who had evaluated the incident and saw that there could have been blame on both sides, or that the death could have been a mistake. The arrest warrant was never issued, and Habersham was not prosecuted for Hugh's death, and this wasn't the only time Habersham would be connected to a death due to anger. In 1777, Button Gwinnett, a delegate to the Continental Congress and a signer of the Declaration of Independence, fought a duel with Lachlan McIntosh, a political rival and Habersham's commanding officer, who was trying to eclipse Gwinnett in Georgia politics. There's a lot of anger between these guys, and we will hear from Lachlan McIntosh in a later podcast. Joseph Habersham stood as McIntosh's second. Shots were fired and Gwinnett died of his wounds after three painful days. Anne Gwinnett, Button's wife, complained in a letter to John Hancock in Congress that Habersham had a significant part in her husband's death. It was the job of the seconds to determine the rules and format for the duel, a job that wasn't done before the men met that morning. Habersham suggested that the men fire from only ten feet apart a distance that as far as I can tell would allow the men to aim for arms and legs rather than more critical areas, and it would let the duel end with both men under medical care and in a lot of pain, but still alive. They each had a point to prove, and they had their honor to defend. They did not set out that day to murder each other. Both men were shot in the leg, but Gwinnett's wound became gangrenous, and that was the end for him. McIntosh was never prosecuted for Gwinnett's death. After the war, Joseph Habersham served the state of Georgia and the United States in several meaningful ways. He served twice as Speaker of the Georgia General Assembly and was part of the convention that ratified the United States Constitution. He was mayor of Savannah for a while. He became the nation's postmaster general at Washington's appointment and developed a new system to transport and sort mail using depots and delivery stations rather than just sacks of mail that moved around a circuit, dropping off mail for that town. 
It's a hub and spoke system and a lot of delivery systems like UPS and the Postal Service and even airlines use it today. Eventually, he left the post office and returned to Georgia. He ended his career as president of the Savannah branch of the Bank of the United States. This was a nationwide bank that could lend money to the government or be a depository for taxes or something. I don't really get that early bank stuff. The bank and that particular banking system didn't last long. He died in Savannah in 1815 at the age of 64 with some pretty amazing stories to tell. This was a man who could walk into a council meeting and arrest a governor, participate in a duel, but also sit down and work out the mechanics of mail delivery and lay the foundation for the country's economic system. The man had many talents. Three years after his death, the new county of Habersham was named after him. Habersham County was enormous and encompassed what is now White County, Banks, and Stevens. In episode 2, we discussed the discovery of gold in Georgia, and those sites now in White County where the loud search for gold were then part of Habersham County. In 1877, a poet named Sidney Lanier, after whom Lake Lanier would be named, wrote that the Chattahoochee River came out of the hills of Habersham. Now it comes out of the hills of Union County. There's also a house in Habersham County with a roadside marker stating that Joseph Habersham owned the house and spent summers there to avoid the heat, mosquitoes, and malaria of Savannah in the summer. I hate to come in conflict with another historical marker, but the archive for the U.S. House of Representatives has a short biography of Joseph Habersham's career. After the revolution, he held jobs in either Washington or Savannah until his death. Of course, that doesn't mean that he couldn't have a summer home that he visited occasionally. The same archive, though, has a biography of his nephew, Richard Habersham, which does say flat out that he lived in Clarksville, Georgia. He died in office and is buried in the old Clarksville Cemetery. You're dealing with a large, wealthy family that has lots of properties scattered about, and any place Joseph Habersham spent any time could be designated a former residence. I'd like to think that Joseph Habersham spent at least some time on the land that later took his name. Okay, I have one last note about Richard Habersham, but first I want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast mostly concentrating on Northeast Georgia. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review and maybe a favorable rating. And if you have any comments, questions, or criticisms, you can go ahead and send those to movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have any stories to share about living in Georgia, I'd love to hear them. Okay, one last thing. If you visit Clarksville, you can find the old cemetery around the corner from the library. Richard Habersham's grave is located there along with many other members of Clarksville's founding families. It's pretty crowded between the grave sites and the trees, but this summer in 2021, a survey was taken of the cemetery using ground-penetrating radar, and the results were surprising. In that small area, up to 235 additional graves were located, and it turns out the space was a lot more crowded than anyone had suspected. 
I'm recording this about two weeks after the result of that survey were made public, and as we go through the summer, I'm sure more information will be forthcoming, and I'm sure it will make an excellent podcast episode once it does. It's just a reminder that there's always more to learn, and the history books are never really closed for good. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.